0: All right. Well, listen. If you don't have uh, your your Bible open already, if you have your app or whatever for Community Hope, go and grab that now. Open that up. We're going to be jumping to our final message in this series that we're calling "On the Journey." We're on week six of six. This is it. This is the finale. And we have just so loved this series. What we've been talking about for the past several weeks is about one of the famous stories in the Bible of a story that happened on the actual very first Easter Sunday when Jesus rose from the dead. It's called the walk to Emmaus. And not only when they walked to Emmaus, what happened when they got to Emmaus. We're going to read at the end of the story what happens today. This is one of 10 post-resurrection stories in the Bible that we have recorded. Now the Bible alludes to that there was many times when Jesus physically, literally appeared to people after his death and after his resurrection. But what's recorded in the pages of the Bible with the eyewitnesses of the ministry of Jesus, we have 10 of them. And this is one, and this might be my favorite one, because it's just So unique. And we're going to read it in its entirety here in just a moment. Now, I learned something this past week. I've been studying this passage for like two months. I've been reading it for most of my life as a follower of Jesus, and I'm learning new things every week. Well, one thing I learned new this week is I've been saying to all of you for six weeks, either at West Palm Beach campus or here or online or a broadcast or wherever, we've been saying that the village of Emmaus has been lost to antiquity. I was wrong. Did you know that? No, you know, somebody said, yes, you idiot. Okay. (laughs) So we have a guest preacher who's with us. He's going to be, he's at West Palm beach this morning. He's a new partner of our church. He's a retired pastor in our tradition. Just a great guy named David Branson and David leads trips to Israel and he's gone there. Um, just so many different times and he sent me pictures and I forgot to send them to the team and I'm just now realizing that. Oh, well, well, anyway, the 1030 service will get (laughs) them. There's a church in a town just about six or seven miles outside of Jerusalem that has a, um, a church that was built on top of ruins that the Crusaders built, that the Crusaders' tradition says this is the site of the village of Emmaus. You guys can go look it up later or watch online Waiter, Whoops. Oh, well, okay. That's why I'm the associate pastor. <laughs> anyway... Anyway, so this story for the walk to Emmaus, this story for the walk to Emmaus is really significant because it's not just, oh wow, what a cool, neat story. It's a beautiful metaphor, a beautiful metaphor for the life of faith and what it means for you and for me. Um, in fact, I think the best quote that's, that encapsulates that idea comes from theologian N.T. Wright. Many believe that he's the greatest living New Testament theologian. And N.T. Wright wrote this. He said, at the level of drama, the story, it has everything. Sorrow, suspense, puzzlement, gradual dawning of the light. Then in the second half, unexpected actions, astonished recognition, a flurry of excitement and activity. And he keeps going, it's both a wonderful, unique, spellbinding tale and also a model for a great deal of being a Christian, of being a Christ follower from that day To this is all about. We can learn a lot from the story of the walk to Emmaus. So let's go ahead and jump in. We're going to read the whole thing one last time as a church. So if you're able, I invite you to stand and honor the reading of God's word. And uh, even if you're at home, if you're in a place where you can't see, we invite you to stand too. If you're on your couch, why don't you go ahead and stand with us, join with us all together. We're one church, whether we're here in the room or anywhere distributed on the internet. So this is the story, again, of the walk to Mace. This is Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. Luke writes here. Now that same day, this is Easter Sunday, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. What things, he asked. He's so coy. Oh my gosh. (laughs) About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. What is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women, they've amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning, but didn't find the body. They came and told us they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women have said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish are you? And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, would you would you stay with us? For it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. And so he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up, returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true. The Lord has risen. He's appeared to Simon. Then the two told what happened on the way, and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of God for the people of God, and all everyone said, Thank thanks be God. to God. Let's pray. Lord, open the scriptures for us like you did for these two, and cause our hearts to burn uh, with the living flame of love, the Holy Spirit, like you did then. Come Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. All right, so I want to talk to you today about good news. Now, this day here um, is significant. It comes a week after today, traditionally, about Palm Sunday, as we've learned already in our service. See, on Palm Sunday, just a week before the events of the passage that we just read, Jesus entered into Jerusalem triumphant as a king, and they brought those frond branches and cloaks like Jessica read because they thought that he was the coming king of Israel. You could hear hear it in the passage. We had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. I.e., we thought he was coming to be king. We thought he was coming to overthrow Rome and all of our hopes are dashed. What everyone but Jesus missed, what everyone missed is that he did come to be king, and he was made king, except his coronation was with a crown of thorns, and his throne was a cross. And he became king of Israel, king of the world, and king of all the hearts of all those who would follow him. Now what's beautiful in this story is they have their eyes opened and realize who he really is and the truth of what has really happened and that it is true that he is the one true living king. And so just like on Palm Sunday when Jesus went to Jerusalem to become king, these two now leave to go back to Jerusalem to tell their friends that Jesus is king. And this is important for all of us today, because not only do we remember on Palm Sunday that we too, in our hearts, need to return to Jerusalem and remember what Jesus has done. But every time you encounter Jesus, he's going to take you to the people that you love to share with them the best news ever in the world, that Jesus is alive and he is the king, right? So I want to talk about good news today. And I want you to think for a moment here, just Just hang with me for a second. About what is the best news that you personally have ever received? What is the best news you have received? Now, I don't mean like in a national headline sense. Um, I don't mean like the newspaper clippings that people have framed that you know, man lands on the moon, or uh, you know, the victory in Europe Day, and the the ending of World War II was imminent, and those things. I wasn't alive for many of those good news days. In fact, most of the national headlines in my life have been bad news. Um, I think most of the great news headlines I've gotten in my life have come as phone notifications. Like one, I got a memory popped up on my social media feed from three years ago when I realized it was three years ago on March 17th, 2020, the whole world was shutting down and everything was getting canceled and I had some really cool plans in the spring that got ruined because of COVID. And to make it up to me because God loves me, I got a notification on my phone from ESPN that said Tom Brady to sign with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. <laughs> Best news I've ever gotten on my phone ever, 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 ever. I'm not talking about stupid stuff like that. I'm not talking about that. I'm sorry, what's the best personal news you have ever gotten in your life? This is a fun exercise if you think about it. Um, as I start to reflect on this, what's the best news I've ever gotten in my life? Um, I, I want to share a couple of them with you today. Um, I want to share with you the very first picture Leah and I had as a couple together. This is us back in 2007. Babies, look at us. Thundercats, ho. Okay. All my 80s friends, boom, great. Okay, cool. Um, one of the best pieces of personal news I'd ever gotten in my entire life, this was in September, and a couple months prior to that, um, one of my best friends, Donovan, had, uh, it's a long story, but I'll keep it short, pretty much told me, dude, you're a dummy. If you asked Leah on a date, she would say yes. And I, I kid you not, in that moment when he told me that, I knew, I'm like, I'm going to marry Leah. I'm going to marry you. I knew, I knew it right then. I knew it right then. And so that was when he told me the news, she would say yes. And that lead to a picture like this and many other pictures, like pictures of our four children being born, the life that we're getting to live and build together. Um, it was one of the best pieces of news I'd ever received in my entire life. Uh, I, kind of in a different vein. Um, one of the best other pieces of news I've ever gotten in my life was an email I received. Um, in 2010. And uh, i had felt the call to become a pastor. I was already serving in full-time ministry at a campus ministry at Florida State. And Leah and I sensed God was calling us to go to Asbury Theological Seminary, which is a like all of my living heroes and all of my mentors all went there. And so if all they went there, I should go there. And I wanted to go there. And um, I'm a public school kid, Asbury's the first private school I'd ever attended in my entire life. Maybe it shows because you can tell how I speak, but you know, um, and it was a lot of money. Um, I kid you not, my starting salary when working in ministry at Florida state was $5,000 a year, not month, year, year. So, I mean, I was like scraping money together, barely making anything work. I'm like, how am I going to afford a master's degree? There's no way I can pull this off. God, I need you to move. And I got an email in 2010. I was in our little one-bedroom, one-bathroom apartment that smelled like smoke and all this other stuff. We were just, you know you know, making life work as newlyweds, and I got this email that told me I was the recipient of the J. Ellsworth Callis Scholarship that almost funded my entire seminary journey, and it was a miracle to me, and I shouted, Leah, and ran out, and we cried. I mean, it was some of the best news I had ever gotten in my entire life. Um, in 2020, it was a year full of bad news. We joke about it. We have an ornament on our Christmas tree that's a that's a dumpster that's on fire with 2020 on it. <laughs> the year was full of bad news, full of bad news. And for all of us, it was full of bad news in so many different ways. And the worst news came for our family in the fall. Um, in October, my sister-in-law, Nina, um, got diagnosed with cancer. And her very first diagnosis was stage four metastatic breast cancer. And um, it just wiped us out. It just wiped us out. Um, it was so difficult. And uh, now she's on the other side of surgery and chemo and radiation. And by the grace of God, her scans keep coming back clear. It's amazing. Praise God. Praise God. And so my brother and sister-in-law decided, well, we better get busy with living. We're going to chase our dreams and we're going to do this. And so they opened, There was a dream to open a restaurant to you. And they opened up this little cafe in Dunedin. And this past week, we got some of the best news. I mean, they have just been like, if you've ever like started a restaurant, worked in a restaurant, you know, restaurant work is hard. It's even harder to own one. It's even harder to open one in the middle of a pandemic when nobody wants to work. It's, it's hard. And so this past week, um, they got some of the best news. Yelp named their little cafe one of the top 100 places to eat in all of Florida, guys. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Mangoes and Marley. It's just this cute little, you know, cafe. I mean, it's just awesome. And God keeps blessing. We just, it's good news. And good, man, it was just such an awesome thing to celebrate. And I encourage you to think about what are some of the best pieces of personal news you have ever received. And what I'm here to tell you today is that in our passage, we are getting a sneak peek. We're getting to live in the moment of the best news these two disciples ever have. This is the greatest moment of their entire lives, and we get to relive it. With them, It's immortalized in the pages of Scripture. These two are famous in heaven forever because of this, and we get to see why today. So why was this the best news they had ever received? Well, if you're taking notes, write this down. Well, first off, the good news is that Jesus is alive. He's alive. Luke 24, 31, 32 says here, so their eyes were opened. We talked about this a little bit last week, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. See, this is their, did that just happen moment? This is their, oh my God moment, except that it was actually God who appeared before them. They were correct if they were to say that. This is their moment when they realize he's not dead. He's alive. And everything changed. See, we know when reading the passage that these two knew that the tomb was empty. They knew his body was missing. They didn't know he was alive. And when you understand that Jesus is alive, it's not just good news. It's the best news in the entire world. Yeah, J.D. Walt says this. He's the the sower-in-chief at seedbed.com. He says, it's one thing to believe the tomb is empty. And yet another to believe Jesus is raised from the dead. And just think with me for a minute. That everything changes if it's true that Jesus is raised from the dead. Everything changes. It's so much more than, cool trick, bro. You're alive. There's so much more. If Jesus is alive, then that means everything he ever said is true and has been vindicated. I don't know about you. But if somebody calls their shot, goes, I'm going to tell you the day I'm going to die. Okay. And then I'm going to tell you the day I'm going to be raised to life. Like, "Mm, maybe I should listen to this guy because he pulled it off. Right? If it's true that Jesus has been raised from the dead, the implications are staggering. If it's true that Jesus has been raised from the dead, then that means death is not the end. There's something on the other side. God is real. Darkness doesn't win. Love wins in the end, and eternal life is open for everybody. Amen. If Jesus is alive, if Jesus is alive, then that means I could be reconciled to God. If Jesus is alive, then that means grace is real. Mercy is real. You can have a fresh start. You don't have to be defined by your past. You can walk into a new future today in Jesus' name if he's alive. Yeah. It is the best news ever, ever. So the good news is Jesus is alive. Listen, I'm more of a heavy metal, Metallica kind of guy. Mm. But, but the Christian rapper Lecrae says this, if it's true he's been raised to life, then this is news that should change your life. Amen. The best news in the world is that Jesus is alive. And so if you keep reading the story, You see how this begins to shape everything for these two disciples. Because not only is the good news that Jesus is alive, we also hear here that good news has to be shared. It has to be shared. Now, I want you to pay very close attention to this. And I want to make sure that you have the right emphasis here. Because you ever heard somebody like, you want to make sure you don't have the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable? Okay? (laughs) Okay, this isn't. Good news has to be shared. It has to be shared. No, good news has to be shared. That's the difference. It has to be shared. So check this out in verse 33. Uh, yeah, go to, go to the scriptures right after that. There it is, 33a. So right then they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. This is significant. Emmaus to Jerusalem is seven miles. Seven miles, which the average person walks in two and a half hours. Okay. Now, I want you to think about it this way. Don't think like, cause when was the last time you walked for two and a half hours anywhere? Unless you're at Disney World or something, right? <laughs> think about travel time. Don't think about walking distance. Think about travel time. Speaking of Disney, it's two and a half hours to Orlando. This is the equivalent of coming home after a super long day in Orlando. And if you're a parent, you know, <laughs> you know. And then getting home and having something happen that's so amazing that you can't call, you can't text, you can't email, but it was totally worth immediately getting back in the car and driving straight back to Orlando and it being totally worth it. Two and a half hours like that. Go back to the verse, please. Would you mind? They got up and returned at once. That very hour is literally what it says in Greek to Jerusalem. This was difficult. This was inconvenient. It was risky because it was at night and it wasn't safe and they didn't have street lights and lamps and all sorts of other stuff. And why would it be worth it to do something difficult, to do something inconvenient, and to do something maybe even risky? Why would it be worth it? It's worth it because it's the best news ever and you're willing to do anything difficult or inconvenient or risky if the good news is that good. And they did Good news doesn't have to be shared. It doesn't ought to be shared, should be shared. It's supposed to be so good that you have to share it. I was reading in the Psalms earlier today. Oh, I think it might have been Psalm 51, where King David prayed at one point, restore to me the joy of your salvation. I feel like that's some of my assignment today is for us to remember how stinking awesome this is. I want to show you a book. This is by um, the great author, uh, Robert E. Coleman. And this book is called The Master Plan of Evangelism. Now, evangelism is a fancy word um, in Christianity and in the Bible. It just means sharing good news that Jesus is alive with people and helping them become followers. That's literally what it means, how to tell people about good news. And this book was written decades ago. It sold more than three and a half million copies Dr. Coleman was a contemporary of the great Billy Graham. I mean, this was a big deal book. Christianity Today says that this book is one of the top 50 books that has shaped most pastors in our tradition. It's an incredible book. Um, I got to know Dr. Coleman, actually, when I got to go to Asbury by the gift and grace of God and by generous Christ followers. Um, there was one day where I found from one of my professors that Dr. Coleman had moved back to Wilmore, Kentucky. And he was a retired man. He was an older man at that point and wanted to pour into some young men who wanted to come to his house and by his house, I mean his retirement village clubhouse at 5.30 in the morning and have a Bible study through the book of Acts. Now, if you know that this guy was personal friends with Billy Graham. Billy Graham wrote the forward to this book. It's still sold three and a half million copies. And he's a living legend in the kingdom of God who's alive still today on earth. And I get to go to his house for a Bible study. You're an idiot if you don't get up early and suck down some coffee and go. And I went and sat at this guy's feet for a season to learn about the Bible. And it was just incredible. And he's such an incredible teacher and um, I made the mistake of misunderstanding that it was a Bible study instead of him just downloading to us on the scriptures. You ever been with a teacher who asked a rhetorical question, didn't want an answer, but somebody answered it anyway because they didn't get it? I'm that guy. I was like, does anybody know why the Apostle Paul said this? And everyone's just listening. I was, was it because of this? And he looked at everybody and didn't say anything, but just gave me, he, his look was like this. Who invited the idiot from Florida? Story. Why am I saying this? All right, so a few weeks ago, Pastor Dale preaching here at Loxahatchee, and I've shared about it at West Palm Beach and other places, that um, we got to go to this, what's called the Asbury Outpouring, the Asbury Revival that broke out this year. And we prayed for this as a church that God would send a spiritual awakening to Gen Z. And guys, he's done it and he's doing it. He's doing it. He's doing it. It's amazing. This is one of the gazillion pictures that you'll find on the internet of 50 to 100,000 people flocking to a little, little tiny town in the middle of Kentucky that has two stoplights because they're hungry for Jesus. And in this room, they protected for Gen Z, 18 to 25. If you're outside of that range, you can go to one of the other simulcast spots. God is doing something unique for this generation, and we're going to make space for it. And they did, and it was incredible. Can I tell you who I saw in the front row when we walked into the room? On the very front row, with all these 18 to 25-year-olds giving their lives to Jesus, experiencing the healing that Jesus offers, experiencing the resurrection power that Jesus offers because he's alive and not dead, who's on the front row? Except this guy right here, 94-year-old Robert Coleman. On the front row. Not because he's leading it, not because he was preaching at it, it's because he wanted to get in on it. Because at 94 years old, it hasn't gotten old to him, and he still thinks the good news has to be shared. And he's willing to worship with kids 75 years younger than him because it's never gotten old, helping people understand the good news that Jesus is alive, and it has to be shared, Amen. Amen. May it be so with us. I want to be 94 years old and chasing revival. Don't you? All right, so good news has to be shared. Here's what we also learn from the passage. Good news is already at work, guys. It's already at work. Check this out. Notice what happens. So they get to Jerusalem, and here's what happens next. It says they found the eleven and those with them assembled together, saying, It's true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Now, this wasn't like, guys, guess what? <sighs> Jesus is alive. No, yeah, we know already. <laughs> That's not what happened here. This is incredible. God showed me this this past week when studying this, um, that when they showed up to tell them, because they think they're the only two in the whole world that knows that Jesus is alive at this point. And when they show up and they hear He's been revealing himself to the people we were trying to share the good news with. This is an incredible truth for everybody who's already a Christ follower in the room. For those of you who are still navigating faith, I want you to know, I believe with all my heart, no matter where you're on the spiritual journey, God is working now in your life and trying to reveal himself to you. And when followers of Jesus understand this, that any person that you want to share good news with that Jesus is already there revealing himself to them. It's a confidence builder, guys. I have little kids, especially in my younger ones, my little three-year-old Susanna. She's just a little spitfire right now. And um, she will walk into any room and just light it up, but not at first. At first, she gets a little nervous and a little gunshine. she still hides behind my leg, unless I walk in the room first. And when daddy walks in the room first and she sees that I've gone ahead of her, she knows it's okay. Jesus has gone ahead of you into all your relationships. He's already at work. He's already there. He's already doing stuff. Will you follow him into the room to share good news? Author Deb Hirsch said this. Um, I, this is a paraphrase. I heard her say this live. So she spoke this. There's no such thing as a godless place or godless person. There's no such thing. God is already, always whispering and calling people to his son. God's grace has rushed ahead of us. God is the unrelenting evangelist. He's not willing for anyone to perish. People's lives are full of, I love this, they're full of God dots and theophanies, which is a fancy word for Jesus revealing himself. People's lives are full of God dots. Our job is to help people connect the dots. If you knew Jesus was already drawing dots in the lives of the people around you, and your simple job was to just go help them connect the dots, wouldn't that give you confidence to know he's already working and to go ahead and share? It's amazing. All right. One of the last things here. Not only is good news already at work, good news is best, guys, when it's personal, when it's personal. Check us out, Luke 24. Then after hearing everything that had happened, go ahead guys, show the verse. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. They told what had happened to them. To them. They didn't go try to have a theological debate and try to convince people that Jesus is the son of the living God. There's nothing wrong with having intellectual conversation, but do you know anybody who's ever been debated into faith in Jesus? I sure don't. Most of the people I know are willing to take steps of becoming more interested in Jesus once they hear about somebody else's experience with Jesus. And you do that best when you share what He's personally done in you and in your life. Um, I'm going to give you a little framework here, Pastor Dale. Uh, when we were at the Asbury Outpouring. Um, there was one day where he heard this really great framework that we're going to try to adopt here at our church. And it's just really helpful. If you want to share what Jesus has done for you. um, I didn't hear it. They put me and pastor Curtis in charge of security outside because I put the fist in pacifist. Mm, right. But when pastor Dale, it's just like a, he's regret like, why did I bring this guy on our team? Why did I, why did I ever, um, but when he was inside, he heard somebody share this. And here's how you share your experience with Jesus. It's called the ABCDs of testimony. A, B, C, D. And it's always, the always make it about Jesus. Don't make it about you. What's Jesus done for you in your life? Just share that. Two, here's B. <laughs> I'm making it numbers and letters. B, be brief. If you start going on a monologue, they're going to not listen to you. Like, they're going to go, like, Eee. don't do that you want to be brief guys keep it short see keep it current tell them what Jesus is doing to make a difference in your life right now not 30 years ago now what's the fresh bread in your life and lastly D guys don't preach it's ironic because I'm preaching to you right now but you all elected to come here okay <laughs> I got you here already you signed up for this When you share, don't be preachy with people. Okay, can you do that? Okay. All right. Now, here's the very, very, very last thing. We're going to take communion here in a moment. This is not in the passage we just read. The the last thing I want to tell you is that good news deserves a great, a great celebration. If you take your Bible, you could be on your phone or a paper Bible, And usually there's headers here that breaks up the passage into sections. The headers aren't there in the original Greek. Modern day publishers put headers in to help organize it to make it more readable. And there's nothing wrong with that. And it's a very helpful and very good thing. It's helped many, many, many more people engage with the Bible. And so there's a break in a header between verse 35 and 36. And so most people don't read past 35 and studying about the story of the walk to Emmaus. Can I read to you what happens in 36? For the five of us who want to see it. Cool. And while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and he surprised them again and said to them, peace be with you. You know what happens when Christ followers come together and they encourage each other that Jesus is alive and they share their experience of what he's done for them. Do you know what happens when we do that together? Jesus shows up by the power of his spirit. He's doing it here in this room now. He's doing it with anybody online, and he's going to do it here next week when we celebrate the resurrection. Invite somebody who needs to hear the good news of hope. He's alive. Lord, help us to be, um, help us to be like these two who are willing to do dangerous and inconvenient and risky things because of the best news ever, that you're alive. Help us to be carriers of good news, transformed by good news and contagious with the good news of Jesus. We pray in your name and all God's people said, amen. So having been been a recipient of the good news, be transformed by what you've received. And once you're transformed by this amazing news, go be an agent of this news spreading the fragrance of Jesus, spreading the good news that he's alive everywhere you go, every day of the week, and in every circle, in every room, in every relationship you're in. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week for Easter.